Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 40. A scholar writes a treatise. A scholar once wrote a treatise denying the existence of spirits. The moment he finished and laid down his brush, a spirit appeared before him, saluted, and then demanded, So, scholar, what are you going to do about me? Goso Hoen commented, If I had seen the demon, I would have put my hands in front of my mouth like the beak of a bow dove and cried, Hoo, hoo. Nando said, Though the scholar knew there are no spirits, he didn't know why there are none. Though Goso knew why there are no spirits, He couldn't remove the traces and erase the tracks. I wouldn't have done it that way. When the spirit appeared, saluted, then demanded what I intended to do, I'd have looked at him and shouted, Jan! Even if the spirit was the great, powerful demon king himself, I'd have cleaved his skull into seven pieces, like the branch of an arjaka tree. Tell me, then, what is this word, Jan? You said, I don't exist. Nee! Good afternoon. Or shall we say it is nine o'clock in the morning on this long seven plus day day? Nine in the morning, just after breakfast. Just after Nitin Soji. A long day. A wonderful day of Rohatsu. And Just being here is a great, not only opportunity, but I see it as a great fortune to be here with you and to have this inconceivable moment of being able to spend this time together. I know it doesn't feel that way all the time. The higher the number of calendar days becomes, the less inclined to see it as a fortune we may be at times when we go into pain or when we are sucked into some of those circular thoughts and vortices. But let's never forget when we sit here Those other people who annoy us because they sit so still while we are suffering tremendously, they are not other people. You know who they are? Siddhartha. It is Siddhartha who we are sitting with under the tree. And when you get annoyed by the sound of the air purifiers, It is the leaves of that tree that on the morning of the eighth day will turn into the Bodhi tree. And all of us are Siddhartha. We live in this great distinction of Buddhist practice where we don't just read what the Buddha expressed after 
he awoke. But where we have the privilege to actually do exactly what Siddhartha did, to become what then is called the awakened one. It's a great story of inclusion and of equity because we all, all of us, no matter how diverse our backgrounds might be, we all have this in common and we have come together here to celebrate and to actualize it. And for that, I want to thank you all. Thank you for being here. There's also this dedication that is chanted every time when a, uh, one of the Dharanis is recited. And I chanted it today in the Japanese way. But it's all the ancestors who are and who were human beings like us. They had aches and pains. They were hungry. They were cold. And they were also persevering in their endeavor. And through their dedication in their lives, we have this floor, we have this building, we have this wonderful mountain. So it's not an homage to some dead people that are written down in a document that is quite long by now, but it is what connects us to that living spirit that goes back to Siddhartha. That's very special. It is very special. And it's been two years that we have had the opportunity to do Rohatsu in person. This is the manifestation of the Bodhisattva, Avalokiteshvara. We put it on to save all beings, not to save ourselves. And when I stand there and try to chant and take a deep breath and inhale most of the mask rather than air, it is just a reminder how lucky are we when we go to our room. We take it off and... <sighs> and when you go outside for Kinin, please take the mask off. Outside Kinin is so you can take the mask off. Roshi and I, we were looking out the window and we saw some of you going out there with the mask. The world is not dangerous out there. You can breathe the air. And we don't wear it again because it is inherently dangerous to do what we are doing. The only thing in danger here is our little self, our own little ego. And that connects straight to this koan from the Shumon Katoshu, the Entangling Vines collection, where we have progressed to case number 40, 40 out of some 280 cases. So one-seventh in. And it's a rather long koan. But the main case, really, we find in the first, in the first paragraph. A scholar writes a treatise. A scholar once wrote a treatise denying the existence of spirits. The moment he finished and laid down his brush, a spirit appeared before him. Doesn't it sound vaguely familiar? When was the last time you made a declaration? I am going to sit down here like Siddhartha and I will not move for seven days. That's a declaration. 
Well, how did that work out? <laughs> Declarations are a very interesting topic because we human beings have the tendency to declare things. When I grew up, I, my father had a very old book of uh, political cartoons from Germany after the war. And in that book, there, there was one cartoon which showed one of the opposition politicians as a mouse and the leading person as the cat. And it said, the mouse loudly declared, I'm going to eat the cat now. That's a declaration. <laughs> Have you ever made such declarations? We do it all the time. And our mind goes around declarations and loves it. And we play with it. We, we play with the intellection. We take a blank sheet of paper and we put on it, this is a blank sheet of paper. And then we think, ah, oh, this, this is paradoxical. I, I could actually do something that's paradoxical and I could hold it. Yet there is only one thing we overlook. And what would that be? This is not a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> it's just wrong. So, spirits. This deals with spirits. We have met spirits yesterday in the second night exhortation by Hakuine Kakuzenji. We meet a couple of spirits. And Hakuin said, wherever the way is practiced, there are dharma-protecting deities and disturbing deities. For example, when many people gather together in a castle town, thieves go among them. When the vow in your heart is strong, the dharma-protecting deities gain strength. When a demon invades your heart, then the disturbing deities gain strength. Spirits. Who believes in spirits? Anybody? <laughs> well, but we have to be careful that we really know what that is, spirit. And one interesting thing that I want to point out about this here is that Hakuin also pointed in his second night exhortations to the castle town and that there are not just good people around that come to gather there, but there are also thieves. And sometimes we think that Zen is way too serious and we take it way too serious. And Zen is described as a thief sometimes, Zen practice. And to demonstrate that to you, this Gosu Hoen Zenji, who comes up in the next paragraph, was once asked, and he lived a long time ago in, in the 11th century, in the heyday of then the Chinese Chan. And he was asked how to describe Zen training. And so I'm going to tell you the story how he described it. He said, well, Zen training is like learning the art of burglary. There was a young boy who was the son of a tremendously successful burglar. But he noticed that his father was getting older. And he wasn't as spry as he had once been. So it started to worry him. How are we going to make ends meet when, when dad can't go out and, and burglarize? Uh, the wealthy families. 
What shall we do if he can't pursue his craft any longer? He wondered. How will we avoid poverty, starvation? And he sat with it. People don't just sit zazen. Sometimes they just sit in their lives and stew. It helps too. And so he dwelled on this for some time and he made his mind up. And guess what he decided? He decided to ask his father to teach him how to be a burglar. It's called the family trade. And guess the father was quite pleased. Ah, oh, my son, it's wonderful. You, you have taken to our trade here, and uh, I will show you, of course. Let's go tonight. I'm going to work tonight. Would you like to come with me? It was like, what, bring your child to the office day. <laughs> so this evening they went out, and they came to a large house, probably in a gated community, occupied by a wealthy family, you could see already. And the father showed him how to go around the estate and check out, okay, what kind of security systems are there, at that time mostly dogs, uh, and where are the weak points? How do we get in? He found the place in the fence. Ah, oh, see. All you have to do, move this. And since we are so burglar, burglarizing people is not a good business, you know. They were fairly thin, so they could just move this aside and slip through that little hole in. There are no fat burglars that are successful. So this is how we break through the fence. And then he showed him how to get into the house without being noticed. It's night, everybody was sleeping. Stealthily they went through the house and located the room in which the family slept. And there they were sleeping. Of course, at that time, another thing to do is you put your valuables as close to you as you can so that when you sleep there, you wake up and you, if a burglar comes, you know what? You catch him. So, oh, do you see? Look at that big chest. Look at that big chest over there. That's probably where the good stuff is. The father pointed it out. Now you go over. You open it up and you take the stuff out and... Just take the best that you can find. The son went there, opened the chest, and bent over. The father pushed him into the chest and slammed the door, uh, the top of the chest. He ran out into the hall and started yelling, Thieves! Thieves! And he made a getaway. You can't imagine the boy in the chest. <laughs> he was quite angry. He was scared. What am I going to do now? And I can't believe my father did that. I'm sure he would have used some more flowery language. Uh, he was cursing his father, probably. What has he done to me? And... He heard all the commotion outside of the chest because they were running after his dad who was making a getaway without having taken anything. And he was in the darkness there and he was thinking about how, how, how could I escape? Oh, maybe I should make the sound of a mouse in the chest. Pretty stupid idea. I don't know how he came up with that. I don't know what it would achieve, but clearly it was some kind of plan to, 
to draw attention. And he made the sound. A servant holding a lantern came over to the chest to investigate the noise. As soon as she lifted the lid, <laughs> the boy jumped out. He blew out the lantern, pushed the startled woman aside, and jumped out through a window into the yard. As he ran away, the members of the household were coming after him, chasing him. He was running as fast as he could, and he could hear they were ca catching up with him. He saw a well. He saw a big rock. He took the rock. He threw it into the well. It make a, made a big splashing sound. He took off his sandal and laid it next to the well and continued running. The mob caught up with him. The household members heard the splash. They gathered around the well. Oh, look, there's his sandal. He must have fallen into the well and drowned. They couldn't see to the bottom of the well. It was so dark. But deciding that the burglar must have died in there, they went back home. The boy came home to his house. still very angry with his father. His father said to him, come down, come down, tell me, tell me, describe to me what happened. The boy described his adventure, what happened. His father embraced him and said, well done. You have learned the art. <laughs> so this is how Goso Hoen describes Zen training. Expect to be pushed into a chest in a strange place where you have no business being and then somebody yelling loudly, Intruders! Intruders! This is what Zen training is like. It might not seem that funny if you find yourself in the chest and have to learn how to get out. But as you can see, it is very effective. So that was Goso Hoen about Zen training. And even such a very strict master as Goso Horn expresses this practice with a lot of joy and humor and lightness with the seriousness that comes with it. So please feel free to laugh once in a while. Even here, there's nobody keeping track. Oh, no. he laughed in the Zendo. That counts against her. No, we have to laugh. This kind of practice, and I have to thank a, a yoga teacher that Shuko-san has known for decades and decades, who is holding classes just over telephone now, and she tells her student that this has to be joyful exertion. This is joyful exertion here. It is not dreadful. If it is dreadful, you are still in the chest Get out of there and run. Goso Hoen, Buzu Fayan, lived from 1024 until maybe 1104. He 
appears in 13 cases of this Shumon Katoshu. He was a native of a place called Mianzhu in Sichuan. His family name was Deng. He became a monk at the age of 35. First, he studied in the Yogacara school, but he was dissatisfied and he wanted to have a teacher who could truly transmit the living Buddha mind. He ended up under Yogi Hoi, who at that time referred him to his successor, Hakuon Shutan, whose Dharma successor he eventually became. He later settled on a mound called Huangmei, also known as Mount Goso. Goso, the characters mean four, uh, five, five itsutsu. And so a patriarch or ancestor, it was the place where the fifth ancestor had spent some time. That's why he's called Goso Hoen, after the mountain. Goso was quite unassuming and he was known to be plain spoken, as you can see from this story that he told to explain to people or give them an insight into how to make a burglar or how to train a Zen person. He had a lot of, a good number of fairly important Dharma heirs, the most important being Engo Kokugon Zenji, who we know from the Hikigan Roku, the Blue Cliff record. So that's the first persona who appears here. Spirits. Spirits. And I asked you if you believe in spirits. And that brought me to contemplate a little bit what is the difference between beliefs and faith. I believe in a lot of stuff, but <laughs> faith is something completely different, of a different dimension. Beliefs I would put into the realm of maybe two or three dimensions, while faith is a multi-dimensional unspeakable kind of trust that we develop by escaping from the chest into which we were pushed. It's not just Zen teachers and fathers of burglar sons who push people into chests. It's life. You might have been pushed into a chest in your family and it was locked and somebody sat on it and the oxygen was not plentiful. We all have these chests and some escape from them in various ways. But when you ask yourself there, do you believe you can get out of it? Then you ask something very different than Developing the faith. I am going to get out of this. Spirits and beliefs. I would put spirits together with faith. And just coming back to these declarations, you know, Writing a treatise about something doesn't exist. I am not a bad person. I'm actually a pretty good person. Or whatever you write about your identity is such a treatise. The worst treatises have a, a title page that say something about Zen. I am a Zen practitioner. It's written down. As soon as you put that brush down, that spirit will appear 
Actually, that spirit is pretty, pretty, I would say, polite. It's described here. The spirit salutes you. Hello, here I am. And now, what are you going to do about me? What are you going to do about me? That's what the spirit asks right there. Buddhist teachings do not deal with declarations. The Buddha declared very, very little. And as Hokuto Sensei pointed out in his talk yesterday, his, the first declaration of the first noble truth is the declaration that everything is not satisfactory. Well, is that a declaration you would want to live in? As soon as we say, this is this way, this is that way, already the mark is missed. And if we think that spirits, ah, that's not rational, that can't be true. Let me just remind you of Edo Roshi's words. The rational is not real. The real is not rational. It's a pretty good indicator when you rationalize things that they are not real. Wouldn't you call that a spirit? A spirit that you conjured up yourself? And if you're lucky, here I am. It will present itself to you and give you a chance to tell it that it doesn't exist. <laughs> so the deities, the spirits they come in helpful they come in dharma protecting and disturbing deities Hakuin said when a demon invades your heart the disturbing deities gain strength the circular vortices of our thinking, of our emotions that exist inside the darkness of this chest into which we had been pushed. Those are spirits as well. How do you answer that spirit? You have to face it. And it is said here that Gosu Hoen said, if I had seen the demon, I would have put my hands in front of my mouth like the beak of a bow dove and cried, Woo, goo. Now that sounds very uh, kind of weird, but we have to understand that sometimes in the corns we have to know about the cultural context in which it happened. You know, this uh, dove, the bow dove, Streptopella orientalis, for our birders. It's a kind of turtle dove that lives in China. And on clear days, when it's a beautiful day, the male turtle dove is said to call out to female doves. And on rainy days, to chase them away with cries that become more rapid. So Goso was imitating a rainy day and the dove's rapid calls. It's like, shh, 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 go away. As a form of a spell to drive away that demon. Very interesting also to see the fickleness in this image, you know. It's again pointing to our mind. When we sit without pain, the sky is nice and everything is fine. But inevitably the clouds will come, the rain will come. 
and our own spirit will shush us away. A dynamic that we have to become very intimate with. So as to move it from the two-dimensional realm of a spirit into the faith of knowing about this activity of change, this activity of dharma. So that's what Goso Hoen did. His successor is named next. His name is Nando Genjo. Nando Genjo lived from 1065 until 1135 and appears in two cases in this Shumon Katoshu. All these biographies come from one source, which is called the Keito Dentoroku, which is basically the who's who in, in Zen, and it goes back a long time. And it is part of my job as telling you about these cases also to tell you about the human beings who appear in them because their living breath, as I said in the opening of this talk, is what gives us this wonderful opportunity to practice and to hear and to learn and to gain inspiration from those who have walked this path before us. So he was a native of Yushan in Langzhou, which is the modern Sichuan. At the age of 10, he became seriously ill. And that awoke in him the desire to become a monk. He entered the temple in Sichuan and in 1088, that means when he was uh, 23 years old, received full ordination. He traveled around on pilgrimage and trained for some time under various Zen masters, but he finally ended up with Go So Ho and Zenji. After receiving transmission from Go So Ho and he went to his own temple in Sichuan and served as a priest in various places. We don't have much beyond these two koans about him. But here in case 40, Nando said about his teacher and the scholar, though the scholar knew there are no spirits, he didn't know why there are none. Though Goso knew why there are no spirits, he could not remove the traces and erase the tracks. I wouldn't have done it that way. When the spirit appeared, saluted, then demanded what I intended to do, I would have looked at him and shouted, Jan! Even if the spirit was, were the powerful, great demon king himself, I would have cleaved his skull into seven pieces like the branch of an Arjaka tree. So you will find quite often that even students in, and successors in this context, they will go out and then say something that might appear to the casual onlooker as a criticism of their teacher who transmitted them. But that's just a uh, superficial view. It's important to look into this. It's not a criticism. If we are caught in that two-dimensional seeing this as there is something that is non-changing and that is reified, that would actually be a sign that that life stream of the Buddha's teaching has died. Life. I wouldn't have done it that way. It doesn't mean that Goso Hoen did it wrong. Goso Hoen did it Goso Hoen's way. 
and nobody else could do it. In the same way, nobody can help us get out of that chest. We have to do it ourselves. And then when we learn somebody else succeeded in getting out of the chest a different way than we did, you know what we should do? Applaud. Not say, ah, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. But if we say it that way, it's okay too. So, his approach was different. He explains the scholar knew X, but he didn't know Y X. Gosho knew Y X, but failed on Y. Static versus dynamic. No declarations, no opposition, but in concord with what is at that very time. Even opinions. It's okay to have an opinion, but opinions are like farts. If they linger too long, people will notice and avoid <laughs> the proximity <laughs> to these opinionated smells that one might have around oneself. Of course, we all fart, but don't bottle it up and go around and say, would you like to, uh, would you? Please, it is, it is delicious. Come on, have another whiff. I'm staring here at the eye of a spirit or of a demon. It's a red kind of thing. And, and it's wonderful to connect with everybody on Zoom. Isn't that more than a spirit? Is that rational? And one more thing about opinions, you know, what really gets me or makes me laugh very hard, heartily is when I see people typing messages on a little electronic device, a little handheld high-powered computer to social media, and then they say, I don't believe in science. <laughs> huh? Let that stew a little bit. I don't believe in science. So, What appears in Nando Genjo's portion of the koan, he talks about the word yan. We don't know what yan means. It's certainly some outcry, some shout, but it may refer to yanmo, or in Japanese, enma, emma, the greatest of the demons, who is the lord of the underworld and the judge of the dead. The dead, you know who the dead are? The ones who never attempt to leave the chest. He is regarded in Buddhism as, and this is really interesting, it's a, an alternate manifestation of the Bodhisattva Kishtigarbha, Jizo Bosatsu. Jizo Bosatsu and Emma are the same person. It's even so that in, in the Japanese language there's a proverb that says, when borrowing money, the face of Jizo, when having to repay it, the face of Emma. Karutoki no Jizo gao, nasutoki Emma Gao. 
you look at any Jizo here, you see what kind of a nice, serene, happy expression that is. Give me. <laughs> Give me. And Emma, of course, is thunderous, a furious expression. Oh, you want me to pay you back? Both the same entity. People behave selfishly at times, depending on the circumstances that what this proverb points to. So Jan could be an overpowering with, well, I call on the highest of all demons to push you back, who you are facing me after you asked me, what will I do about you? I'm going to call you a superior. And then he continues about, even if it were the overlord of all the spirits, I would strike his skull and it would go into seven pieces like the branch of an arjaka tree. This uh, image comes from chapter 26 of the Myoho Rengekyo of the Lotus Sutra, which is also called the Dharani chapter of the Lotus Sutra. And we touched on that in a couple of cases ago when we spoke about the seven uh, princesses in the mortuary grove. Chapter 26 came up. So, and there they say, if there are those who fall to heed our spells, these are those women who are saying this, and trouble and disrupt the preachers of the Buddha's law, their heads will split into seven pieces, like the branches of the Arjaka tree. When we in our being do not follow the law, the Dharma, the way, we too will be shattered into seven pieces. Not nicely cut, fractured. You might, in fact, feel fractured inside that chest. But to get out of the chest, we have to take all those fractured pieces with us. Nothing can left, be left behind conveniently. This Arjaka tree, you know, in China, the legend goes that it refers actually to the flower that has seven petals. But it is so delicate. When you touch it, they just fall off. The last portion of the koan in the end is something that was added to it. It's not found in the first version. You said I don't exist. Ni, there's this character, ni. And that's a very interesting character, you know, because ni the word ni is sometimes used to encourage Zen students in, in their endeavors as a shout to jolt them. But sometimes it's also used in funeral ceremonies. And in the Chinese, it might not be relevant to this very koan, but we should understand that there is uh, the practice of writing that character on a piece of paper and putting it over doors everywhere because Ni is a dead spirit. So even spirits die. And guess what spirits are afraid of? Dead spirits. So Ni is the dead spirit. And I very vividly recall at Joshu Roshi's funeral that 
was performed by Noritake Rodaishi. He gave the funeral poem and he ended it with this knee shout. And that is a very rare honor that those who perform funerals give to people who they deeply respect. So instead of a katsu, comes a knee. So, we are here together to sit with Siddhartha next to us, with the sounds of the tree that on the eighth day will turn into the Bodhi tree. Siddhartha on your left, Siddhartha on your right. Siddhartha on your cushion. When the spirits come that brought you here, don't make declarations. Don't make decisions. Siddhartha did not decide to sit under the tree. He sat down and he chose not to get up. Moment after moment, nen after nen. And even if we have to ask ourselves, can I bear this for one more breath? And we bear it. We are doing the activity of Siddhartha. And without fail, without fail, through the cultivation of faith, awakening our birthright, will become clear. Let's all together engage in this joyful exertion with emphasis on both parts, joy and exertion. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.